Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, White Sox fans, Brett Valentini here with the Southside Sox podcast. It's a crossover event. It's the first ever. We've got our first offshoot podcast, Sharing Sox, the father-son team, Will Allen, and Duty Geezer, Lee Allen. I got to figure out what this is. Before I, I'm going to cut into my intro, Lee, Duty Geezer, where does it come from? What is it? I need to know. Well, you know what a geezer is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and I think I'm the only one. I mean, we got a large staff, but you're mostly a lot younger than I am, I believe. So oh, I, I think that's just math. I Yeah, it's <laughs> a safe assumption. <laughs> Having Lee around does make it a little easier. I am, on the other hand, younger than the manager. I am closer uh, uh, to Lee's age, I guess, than, than the bulk of the staff. But I do think there's, in addition to Lee, a few other writers on staff. There's a there's a little group of us. They're all basically the same age, all like Southside hitmen. Uh, introduction to the White Sox fans, but uh, yeah, not too many. All right, just wanted to sort of figure because I see it uh, cited every single uh, sharing Sox podcast, <laughs> so I figured I'd try to get to the bottom of it a little bit. Uh, but yes, it's a crossover event. Uh, I am going to call. Uh, Mork on Happy Days as the uh, the crossover element uh, for this one. I don't know how you guys are going to call it, but that's how I'm going to play it, even though that was truly a jumping the shark moment. And we are definitely not jumping the shark with this meaning of Mothership podcast with sharing socks, but figured it was past due time to have you guys on the Mothership podcast, uh, especially because you guys were the ones who sort of carried the torch when we were doing Sports Illustrated and Southside Hit Pen. I don't think I was doing anything along the lines of podcasting. You guys were just trotting it out, especially with the uh, the day of, morning of uh, playoff 
podcast that we threw out there. Uh, so thanks for sort of carrying the torch uh, as we were maybe transitioning back to explanation <laughs> and getting our own podcast rolling again. Uh, we're both 20 plus episodes into it. So uh, uh, these are the core podcasts, guys. So this thanks. Yeah, this is it. Thanks for putting yeah. it to the side for a week and deciding to join Southside Sox again. I- we, Thanks for having us. I'll say, you know, I've I've been on uh I've been on Chicago Fire and Chicago Justice and you know those crossover events are epic, but nothing like we are talking about today. <laughs> Southside uh, Sox, man. Yeah. No kidding. Um we are going to be talking, I guess, a little bit more philosophically in this podcast. We've had a couple of those uh, when I was talking with Colleen Sullivan when when some of the uh Female member treatment stuff sort of blew up. Uh, we sort of took the day-to-day of the White Sox to the side. I think we're going to do that with this one as well, because we do, between our two podcasts, ends up uh, discussing a lot of the nuts and bolts and mm, will be garrulous in a different way for this podcast, I suppose, because there's plenty in, in what we're going to address today to be a little bit garrulous about. But first, I guess let's talk about maybe what the role our site and what you guys as writers, because because the thing that appeals to me about a lot of our staff and particularly you two guys is the humor and the entertainment factor that you bring into the writing and the coverage. Uh, this will be my fourth year running Southside Sections. We're going into the fourth season with me taking over. And the one thing I asked them when I took this over was I don't want it to be just my show uh, as it had been previously. Um, with the, the, the prior regime at Southside Sox. Uh, it wasn't something I was interested in. It was something I didn't think I was capable of doing. So I knew I wanted a group of people and preferably an entertaining group of people, uh, not just diverse looks at the team, not just apologists for the White Sox or not just critics of the White Sox, but people who could bring uh, a, a unique flavor, uh, a unique eye to the game. Um, and again, Lee, right off the bat, you, you sort of brought that. Will, you've come in now here a little bit later and doing sort of the same thing. But I guess just the first thing I'll throw out to you guys is, is, is what do you think the role should be for us as writers and, and covering the team in terms of how we bring a, a combine a sense of fun, uh, analyzing, being serious when necessary, but also maybe taking a step back and, and being lighthearted about it as well? Go ahead, geezer. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll do a geezer step in first. Um, sports is supposed to be entertainment, so I I think the fact that we occasionally entertain in the process of writing or talking, shooting the bull uh, during the podcast, is rather important. Uh, there's obviously a core, and especially the kind of people that follow our site who are very, very deeply analytical. But that's only a very small portion of uh, the potential of the baseball audience and the, certainly the potential baseball audience. So you want to do things that make it be fun. I, I know when, when it comes to players, my favorite players have always been the guys who are fun. Yolmer is, is the most obvious example. He was having fun out there. And it's a lot easier to make it fun and entertaining for the folks in the stands or in front of the TV set if you yourself are enjoying it. Alexei was like that. Um, AJ, in a different way, was like that. Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and you can go back through a lot of people through the years, even, even on other teams. But guys who are enjoying the game 
which I see a lot of in this team today, uh, which I think is really nice. Uh, it may disappear because of certain other factors in the offseason, <laughs> but it has been really nice. So I, I think entertainment is uh, an important uh, part of what we do, uh, besides which, um, you know, being funny is fun. <laughs> it's, it's a lot more enjoyable to write that way. I mean, for me, uh, what what attracts me to baseball, you know, as a as an actor and a, a playwright um, professionally, is is the drama of the game. I mean, there is no sport that is more theatrical than baseball, and and that is what keeps me in love with the game. But like any good drama, you need that comedy <laughs> to to offset those serious moments. You know, there's that moment in Moneyball where one of the scouts tells Billy Bean. Uh, you know, someday we all find out we're, we're done playing the child's game. And to me, I think baseball, you, you got to remember, this is a game for kids. And, and we get to this age where, where we have adults and supreme athletes playing it. It doesn't mean we have to forget why we liked it when we were kids. And so bringing that energy and that fun to the game is, is what I think makes baseball so exciting. You, you see it in the NBA too, and a little bit in football, but Baseball, you really get a chance to see some of these personalities shine in an interesting way. So when I'm writing about baseball, I'm a little more interested in uh, the players and what we think of the players and what maybe they think of us uh, and and plan on that a little bit. Plus, writing the humorous stuff is the best way to send a a jab at, at, at someone who you think might be underperforming. Uh, and also applaud someone who you think is is doing well. Yeah, even and I and I, th- I think humor in sports writing. Well, probably when the guys went back to Sparta and Athens to report on how things went up uh, on Olympia, they probably told a couple one-liners to soften up the crowd before <laughs> they they gave the scores. And I think that's just carrying on through time with sports. And we've had great humorous writers. Most of them, I think, concentrating on baseball more than other sports for their humor, because there is, for some reason, more humor. Ring Lardner, uh, Red Smith, uh, Aunt Frank DeFord with that. Uh, Jeff Passant does it now uh, fairly, fairly often, and any number of guys. One of my favorites, and I'm going to – you had mentioned you wanted to talk about humor in the writing, and I'm going to bring this guy up, and it's going to tie into the White Sox in a non-humorous way. <laughs> but – uh, when I was with the Dayton Daily News, I was there for part of the tenureship of a remarkable baseball writer named Hal McCoy, who was, who was in the Hall of Fame, and who was the, had the longest streak covering one team as a, as a beat writer. I'm sure that still stands. He started in the 70s. And actually, Hal still writes about him sometimes, and he's blind. And I was there when he was going blind, and he still maintained his sense of humor about it. And he was just a great guy. He wrote, he wrote funny things. He was very analytical. He knew baseball inside and out and a really, really nice man. And that always came through. And one of the things is I was thinking about, I looked up Hal McCoy and humor and it reminded me what a nice guy Hal was. I, I didn't see him often because he was always out covering the team and the sports and news were on different floors and, but every once in a while, but really great guy to the point that, you know, writers often do not get along with the clubs are writing about. 
as his second eye went bad and, and he was getting seriously blind, he he walked into the Reds locker room one day and could see nothing, just nothing. Because it, it, it's, I say, it would come and go a little. It came from uh, having had strokes in the back of his eyes. And Aaron Boone, who was playing third for the, for the Reds back in those days, came over to him, could see him just standing there, totally lost, took him by the hand, led him over to a bench, and sat down with him. And he said, Hal, we got you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything at all. We're going to take care of you. We've got your back. And the whole team always had his back. And he didn't always write nice things about everybody. He said it in a nice way because that's the way he was. But he didn't – he wasn't a, a, a homer. He didn't just sugarcoat everything that happened with the Reds. And yet the, the players really loved him. So the reason I bring this up with a White Sox tie, and it's a long story, I know I'm dragging up. I looked at Helmicornian Humor, and one of the first things I got to somehow out of nowhere was a column of his. It was a Q&A, typical thing a beat writer does where he takes letters from fans. And the question was, would you rather have Dusty Baker or Tony La Russa as a manager? And I've used part of this answer for my for my crypto socks week coming up this week. But his first answer was, you know, the manager doesn't really make a whole lot of difference anyway. But what he went then to was, of course, Dusty Baker has never stormed into an opposing team's broadcast booth to chew out a broadcaster. Dusty Baker doesn't talk with total disdain to uh, writers on and this is, I'm talking, this is the nicest guy in the universe, and he obviously hates Tony LaRosa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and that sort of previews what we're going to be talking about in the second half of this podcast, which, which will focus a little bit more on how the White Sox see us, how the White Sox see their fans, but to touch on some of the humor. I don't purport to be uh, a comedian by any stretch, uh, but even back on the beat, I wanted to try to do things differently and perhaps, dare I say, try to bring a little, if not irreverence, just uh, artistry into the writing. I know that sounds extremely high-minded, so I would like to go back. If I was smart (laughs) enough to be able to go back and delete instead of just point and shoot with these podcasts, I would, but I'll, okay, I'll have to wear it now. But reverence is built into the game. We're all different ages here, uh, not, to, not to play that up, but we are. Uh, we're all probably even bordering different generations here. We have the same reverence for the game, I would argue. And so if that's built in by deciding to buy a ticket or turn the game on, why can't we then turn it on its side perhaps and approach it with a little bit of irreverence and approach it with a little bit of uh, fun humor? And maybe it is even artistry that we're attempting. We may not uh, achieve it. Uh, the fact that we've got to do 162 game threads and game recaps a season. I don't really want to read the same one every time over and over again. We have the, we have the ability to go far longer than a newspaper uh, would allot uh, game coverage, or we can actually go a lot shorter. We're taking in a different thing where maybe there's a, maybe there's a robot who is actually writing up the game recap as we've done. Maybe the editor decides to write the recap in nine different writers' voices uh, as I have also done and probably will do this year. Uh, let's try to have some some fun with following this team that, okay, built in, we're going to fall out of bed and it's going to be fun, hopefully, to watch this team, perhaps manage your chair aside. But no, no matter what, it's going to be fun 
And if they fall short, I suppose there's a way to try to make even that very quick, let's hope it doesn't happen, that very quick fall from grace, uh, at least entertaining, uh, if not fun. I, you know, I see well, you, it, you know, guys. It, it, it's, it is entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. Yes, it's vicarious thrill of victory and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's, well, COVID affects it. It's not COVID. It's not insurrection. It's, it's, it's not battling through two feet of snow <laughs> in Chicago today to try to get to your job. It's just a little lighthearted thing that we all take much too seriously. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, uh, anytime I start to take the game too seriously, I just realize there's a whole group of guys wearing shirts that say Marlins on them. (laughs) And, and I just remember like, these are, these are grown dudes pretending that they're, they're fighting hard for the Tigers and for the Marlins and for the Cubbies uh, and it's just one of those things where, yeah, I take the game itself very seriously. You know, I, I love every minute aspect of this game, but that doesn't mean I have to commit wholeheartedly to not enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you two to talk amongst yourselves why I decide to go back here and shut down the sunset here in Florida. <laughs> so, uh, I'll be back in just a second, but uh, five I, don't, I don't see two feet of second. snow down there. <laughs> oh man! I yeah, both know. of you guys, both of you guys are in real warm weather places while I'm suffering up here. Hey, it's yeah. not that it's warm. Not baseball here. weather here. It's only sixty-two today. We're freezing in LA. <laughs> We're freezing. We've had plenty of pet cameos and break-ins of different uh, animals and noises in the background, but this, I will say, I'm proud to provide the first strange, like, lighting adjustment <laughs> delay. But, you know. Hey, that's all right. I'm ahead of that's you guys, right. so, you know, yeah. the sun's falling here. <laughs> all right, I guess this is a good enough time to, not that we can't touch on the entertainment aspect in the second half, but let's take our little short break. And again, as I advise everyone who is watching on YouTube, the uh, dozen or so of you who are, this would be time <laughs> while everybody on the podcast has to listen to maybe a minute of commercials to just shut your eyes briefly. And when you open back up, we'll be back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services... We believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, it is Brett Ballantini here with Lee Allen, Will Allen of Sharing Socks, one of our, our, our I guess, our first offshoot podcast uh, here at Southside Socks. Uh, welcome back. We're here in the second half of the show where we are going to be addressing uh, maybe a little, still a little bit esoteric, but uh, maybe a little bit 
harder truth here, and that is how the White Sox look at us at Southside Sox, look at writers, be they on the beat or just uh, somebody writing a blog that is much smaller than the millions of, of hits we get each year at Southside Sox, but even how they might look at them. We know that they want to control the message completely. They break their own news. Um, they, their beat is not very open. Uh, nothing has changed about our group aside from getting bigger and better from last year to this, but because we've changed uh, the tent under which we operate. Uh, are, are you are you Bob Bob Nightingale? Are you the are you the guys that's the only person that Jerry talks to in the whole world? <laughs> if only, then we'd have a hook. But based on that, because uh, SB Nation in the White Sox eyes uh, considers us not accredited, and I don't really even know what that definition is. We are not really going to be beat writing and beat covering the team as we were lucky enough to do, and which I made clear to the White Sox last year that we were able to do. And even though the beat is very small, there's really only three or so under normal circumstances, traveling writers. Uh, the White Sox are a team that don't really want to open it up. They don't really seem to want more access or else we would be there. Nothing's changed. Uh, SB Nation is a, obviously a, a huge, huge company. We pay for our photographs. Uh, I pay myself, photographers, to get some of those inside out uh, photos of, of the lower miners. Uh, we conduct ourselves obviously very professionally, uh, but unfortunately the White Sox don't really see it the same way. And it maybe speaks to... I guess a question I'll throw out to you, and that is how you think or how you feel the White Sox view, whether it be the media or even the fan. Oftentimes these days with everybody on social media, it can sort of be somewhat the same thing. But what's your take on how the White Sox, uh, aside from disdain, how the White Sox look at uh, the media and then also maybe their, their fan base? Well, you're, you're right about the White Sox controlling their message, actually more so than most other teams at the professional level. Uh, and unfortunately, that has led to them having very, very unexciting uh, social media interaction. They're, they seem weirdly behind, which isn't necessarily surprising for the White Sox. But uh, this is a day and age where social media and, and that relationship with fans and with uh, you know, the, the baseball writers can really change the look and feel of your fan base. I mean, it's, it's no longer, oh, the kids are on social, so we can just uh, let the kids do that and, and we'll focus on, on getting the grownups in. Everybody's, everybody's following this. Um, and I think the White Sox actually have one of the worst relationships, <laughs> unfortunately, with, with outside media. Um, I, I would think, I, I can't imagine anyone there has ever read my articles. They tend to have uh, pretty silly headlines. Um, but if they have, I would think that there are a handful of players that think very highly of me and a handful of players, or at least Zach Collins, who thinks very uh, poorly of me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally... yeah, but Dylan Cease loves you. So let's, let's get that. <laughs> That's true. But Dylan Cease, he doesn't listen to the podcast cause he's tired of hearing me defend him <laughs> to you. Um, you know, I, I always picture this, this world where we actually would sort of have that Hal McCoy relationship where, you know, these guys know that we love this team. We support this team. We want this team to win, you know, kind of in my business, people say when, when you go into an audition, a casting director, a director, they want you to be good. They they don't want you to be bad. So even if they don't 
give you the job, it doesn't mean they thought you were bad. They were rooting for you the whole time. It's just, you know, what, what didn't make that work, what, why it didn't work out. And, um, you know, I kind of feel like that relationship is, is missing between, between a lot of the, the media and the players of knowing like we, we are rooting for you. We want you to win. If you do something despicable as a human, obviously we're going to address that. Um, but for the most part, when we're digging at you, it's, it's to get you better. It's to get you moving, to get it flowing. Um, so yeah, it's a bummer of the relationship the White Sox have with a lot of people, but, uh, that's, that's, that's the team. I I wonder if, if some of it goes back to the fact that the Cubs, bless it be their name, uh, have always gotten far, far more media coverage in Chicago than the Sox ever got, no matter I mean, to the point where they forget the Sox won the World Series in 2005. Part of it was, of course, for a long time, the Cubs were owned by the Tribune. Well, that's a big part. <laughs> um, but it, it wasn't just the Trib that was like that. It, the TV stations were, were or WGM, which they owned, but all the TV stations, the same, same kind of atmosphere. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it, I don't know. Maybe there's just some little bitterness back there. It shouldn't affect the fans, their attitude toward fans, which I think is awful. I think pretty much everybody agrees that Jerry Reinsdorf couldn't care less about fans, which is interesting because he certainly complained when they weren't there last year. So um, I think that's a big part of it is, is Reinsdorf's sort of <laughs> disinterest in his fan base. Uh, that's, that's problematic. But I think another thing that, that adds to their tight grip on on their media is the attempt to avoid scandal. Um, they they play a very conservative ball game with media, and you know the less you do, the less chance there is to get mixed up with the wrong people and be associated with the wrong message. Uh, as we've seen with the so they hire Tony La Russa, uh, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but as we've seen with the Cubs, they they're troubles get exposed a lot more than ours do and that's because they cast a bit of a wider net and they're run by a bunch of evil people and eventually that that makes its way uh onto social media um yeah we'll we'll do an entire podcast i'm sure will be devoted to the chicago tribune's dominance of the media scene at a really crucial time when uh when the white Sox were coming in with new ownership um and uh, hey, you listen. Yeah, I mean, it is more complicated than that. I'm sure majority day games maybe plays a role, makes a media jobs a little bit, a media person's job a little easier. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of little biases and some even legit that that might have skewed coverage uh, more favorably. And oh, you you have things. I I think that this goes back a few years. I was back before the Cubs you know, managed to break out and win a World Series, but. A survey was taken, oh gosh, probably the early 2000s, before either team had made it uh, a championship. Um, and it showed that actually in Cook County, the White Sox had more fans than the Cubs. But in the suburbs, it was overwhelmingly the other direction. And the Tribune, for sure, and most of the other media are more concerned about the suburbs than they are about the city because that's where most of the money is. And then I, I think that's a, that's a factor. And I don't think an, an individual beat writer is concerned about, about that when he's writing. I certainly hope not. 
but the overall corporate structure is, and that may have twisted things. Yeah, and, and before we wind all this up, I, it's important to point out that we are not unique, but there are many SB Nation sites that are credentialed to cover as many games as they want. They get a lot more access. Um, they get everything that we were afforded when we were under the Sports Illustrated uh, umbrella, and it's just unfortunate that this site, and, and you know, it, we're fans of this team. I'm not going to become a fan of the Marlins because I can get better access. This is the team, uh, you know, we're pretty much with until we're six feet under. And it's just sort of the luck of the draw that we end up with a team that seems particularly hostile toward um, our type of media. They see us as competition. And I don't, I don't really understand how we can, even in our most critical moments, be anything more than promotion. We are talking about their product, good, bad, or otherwise. And as much as the Tony La Russa uh, hiring, for example, has been universally panned. It's still talking about the White Sox, not in a like they want it to be, but it's it's still column space, it's still uh, web space, and you know it's a it's a situation where even in the worst case, if you're the subject, obviously you don't want to keep repeating that. As as Willie pointed out, the Cubs are starting to get some of the negative attention coming down from ownership and, and how they're sort of dismantling a team that uh, that had a nice run, but, you know, all in all, maybe fell a little short of what maybe it should have been in terms of the window that they had. Uh, but, I mean, you're still the discussion. And the White Sox, as the as sick as it is to have to admit, as the second team in a, a two-team town, um, at this point probably do need to be scratching and gripping for uh, as much of the column inches they can get. And then – focus on making the right decisions to have most of that coverage be praiseworthy. Um, (laughs) You know, like both, you know, you'd like both of uh, those things, but if not just seizing the message one way or the other, and Lord knows that they, they seem to not care whether the message comes out as negative or not because they did hire Tony La Russa. (laughs) I I think something else too, that does unfortunately exist is I think there's, there's a huge negative sort of, socioeconomic connotation with the White Sox. Uh, their community is not viewed as, as the, the wealthy North Side Chicago community. It's, it's garbage. It's a garbage take on the community and the team. Um, it's a wonderful fan base, all in all, like absolutely wonderful. And I think a, a big part of that is ownership being out of touch with the people in the local area. I, I don't think Reinsdorf understands that you know, he needs to be reaching out to this community and, and create that great relationship with, with the South and Southwest sides of Chicago. It doesn't exist. And, and on the North side, you know, I used to live right by Wrigley, getting friends to even go down to the South side because of the, the negative connotation to go to games. It's, it's impossible. And when you get in a fight with a Cubs fan, a verbal spat, you know, friendly or not, they almost always throw out you know, things about being poor, having no fans, not having money, all this stuff that is just, it, it's totally enveloped in the deep-seated racial segregation of the city of Chicago. And I realize that Wrigley used to also be in a bad neighborhood, but it, but it is also, but, you know, for many years now, it has been white on the north side and then people of color on the south side. And Reinsdorf does nothing to change the image and nothing to make it seem like we are embracing the people of color on, on all, in all parts of Chicago. He, he stays away from it. He stays elitist. He stays up high. And, and 
you know, it, it leads to a disappointing relationship with fans. All of you are old enough to remember that the big criticism of the new White Sox park was that it was too much like a mall. And isn't it ironic that now Wrigleyville is just one <laughs> massive granite. There's with vomit troughs, et cetera, but one big mall. I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately to sell, a, sell our condo to them. We're only a mile and a half away. They're going to move pretty soon. There is... I mean, when I first moved there, none of the mall was up. And it was, I, despite my hatred of the Cubs, it was the coolest thing in the world to walk three blocks to go to a baseball game. I, I was going to three Cubs games a week because, you know, tickets were dirt cheap. They were two bucks on StubHub. So if I wanted to kill some time, I'd go to a game. And, and you know, now to see what it is, it's, oh, I, I hate it. I hate the Wrigleyville Mall. Well, right. we'll say this. Whatever – mean things we have said about Jerry Reinsdorf and that we feel about Jerry Reinsdorf. And I feel many mean things about Jerry Reinsdorf. He is not the worst owner in Major League Baseball. And he is not even the worst owner in Major League Baseball in Chicago. Not, not even close. True. The owners of the Northside organization and that's what's important for us to, I think that's something that we do um, apply to the site. And that is the perspective that's necessary. Of course, we can get down and deep and dirty and critical, but we do have the perspective to know that we could also be Cubs fans. Who, <laughs> you know. Be puking on the sidewalks outside my house. Yeah. <laughs> well, Will, I appreciate the fact that you're willing to be a double agent for low those many years buying those $3 tickets on StubHub <laughs> and getting in there and doing the dirty work for us. And I Lee, couldn't afford beer, so they lost <laughs> money. <laughs> and Lee, of course, I appreciate the lyricism and the, uh, the, the humor and the uh, good spirit that you brought to the site now here for uh, – seems like several years now and we're going to get your coverage your game coverage you're kicking off our spring training spring coverage training here yeah. a game in february it's, it's sure gonna, gonna you know it's going to be 42 guys are going to be in that lineup none of whom you have ever heard of <laughs> or will ever hear of again before our time runs out i will just say thank you again for watching and reading and listening and of course check out sharing socks uh, our other big podcast here on Southside Sox. But thanks, everybody, for reading and listening and watching.